0: Welcome to the Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. In this podcast, we hope to demystify Parkinson's disease, looking at everything from the basics to the cutting edge. Whether you are a healthcare professional, sufferer, carer, or family member looking to learn more, leading experts Professor Baz Bloom and Professor Werner Poover will help uncomplicate the subject. Orowen presents Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast series, The Parkinson Alphabet. Uh, I'm joined here with my good friend and colleague, uh, Professor Werner Poewe, Emeritus Professor at Innsbruck University Medical Center and one of the most distinguished and widely published authors in the field of Parkinson's disease. We've been doing this podcast series for some time together and it's just a pleasure to be sitting here physically together at the MDS conference in Madrid, where we are broadcasting today. My name is Bas Bloom. I'm a neurologist and professor of neurology at the Radboud University Medical Center. We're very grateful to BL for financially supporting this broadcast um, episode. Uh, And we'll talk about another letter in the alphabet, the N, the N for neurologist, but the one that obviously comes to mind, Werner, in the setting of Parkinson's disease is non-motor symptoms. I think if you ask any layperson about Parkinson's, they will tell you about the tremor, the changes in gait and the slowness in movement. But Werner, this really is only the tip of the iceberg, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. Um, of course, we still in our textbook approach the knowledge and teaching, we teach Parkinson's disease as a prime example of a movement disorder, which it is. And James Parkinson observed that. But um, as we've become aware in every doctor talking to these pa- patients and individuals with Parkinson's, there's a whole range of non-motor issues. And it's kind of uh, intriguing if you think of the common problem of loss of a sense of smell in Parkinson's disease. So oftentimes, 90, more than 90% will have that upon testing at least, and oftentimes it will be almost complete or very severe so if you think of a disorder that had, produces that such, such, such a profound deficit in one of the sensory systems uh, that that should not be in the forefront right. of of clinical labeling if you think you know by by analogy of a disease that would cause blindness it wouldn't go under you know secondary footnote things yeah. it would be more central and Thanks to many colleagues and, uh, of course, our friend and colleague Ray Chowdhury, who has been very interested in this field, we, we have become very much aware of the importance of non-motor symptoms. And they're so varied. They cover the range of cognition and other neuropsychiatric features, mood changes, depression, anxiety, apathy. They cover the autonomic nervous system where there are problems, problems with bowel movements, problems with micturition, problems with blood pressure regulation up to the point in advanced disease that people may have syncope, even due to orthostatic hypotension. There is a whole range of very, very intriguing sleep-wake problems. Insomnia, sleep fragmentation is almost universal in Parkinson's disease. And not to forget the, the, the cognitive decline that is unfortunately part of the disease in many patients as as they progress uh, producing unfortunately sometimes Frank Parkinson's disease, dementia, Mm -hmm. behavioral disorders, hallucinosis. So it is an enormous burden that, that arises and not to forget about pain and other sensory symptoms. And investigators have systematically looked at this by asking patients formally with a checklist querying different non-motor symptoms and they came up with eight, anything between 8 and 13 yep. individual non-motor problems present in a single patient um, and that of course leads we could spend a whole evening discussing about this what, what does it mean and how do you ask for this and I think one of the lessons of this is in take, taking a Parkinson's history particularly when you have a first visit patient you need to move into the non-motor problems as well And that will take another 15, 20 minutes of your history, I think, easily. Easily,
0: absolutely. And I think it's maybe good for our listeners to combat a few myths or misconceptions around these non-motor symptoms. The first one is that these are late symptoms of the disease. They are early. Uh, The study that you mentioned about 8 to 13 symptoms, if I remember correctly, was done in newly diagnosed patients who already have a range of non-motor symptoms. In fact, we know that during the so-called prodromal period, the phase that leads up to what ultimately becomes motor Parkinson's disease, when you and I make the diagnosis based on motor symptoms, people can have a loss of smell, constipation, a REM sleep behavior disorder, changes in contrast vision. And beautiful work in these prodromal people shows that the motor symptoms are actually a relatively late feature of what we call the Parkinson's syndrome. So, late is a misconception. And the other one that maybe you want to describe in a little more detail because it taps into the treatment is people tend to think non motor equals non dopaminergic and thereby makes it difficult to treat. But at least some of these non motor symptoms have a relation to lack of dopamine and
1: are therefore treatable, right? Exactly. One of the earliest things that patients often report when you talk to them or their spouses or their partners or caregivers is that individuals have lost their usual energy, their motivation, their um, pleasure in doing things. Uh, They've become quote-unquote unhedonistic to some extent. Um, And that's something that oftentimes is dramatically reverted, When you start substituting dopamine, for example, with levodopa, people will say, you know, I've got my energy back. Um, I'll never forget vividly uh, in my memory, I still have that. There's one patient who came back after starting dopamine replacement and said, I'm much better. And I was expecting that he would tell me how his movements and his finger dexterity and things like that had improved. And I asked him, so you, you, you... you're quicker at the typewriter again or on yeah. the keyboard. No, 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 or maybe. And sort of thing. so the answer was always, I don't know. I said, well, what, what, what is it then? That's so much better. I like to drive fast cars again. <laughs> Yeah. This was an example yeah. of how you how this, this reward system um, is, is affected by, by, by loss of dopamine. But also there are nice studies that have shown that pain thresholds are regulated by dopamine levels and that pain thresholds are different between on and off. Exactly. Um, even bowel function can be modified. Yeah. Sphincter function can be modified related to things like uh, defecation or urinary urge. So th- there is a the side to these, yeah, which also
0: means that the response fluctuations that people know so well—the on and off fluctuations—which mm-hmm. we discuss in another letter of the alphabet—can also take shape in a non-motor form. Mm-hmm. So people come to your clinic and they say, "I'm unhappy," and you th- look at their tapping score for bradykinesia, and it still looks relatively fine, but they have exactly what you describe: they're depressed, they have pain in the off phase, which improves in the on phase. And I think another one that we should really mention is sleep. Many people treat their Parkinson's patients during the day, but Parkinson's doesn't go on holiday during the night. And for example, sleep fragmentation is very common and vexing. People wake up in the middle of the night, find it difficult to fall asleep, and you need dopamine for a good quality sleep. So once this emerges, and the best sign is excessive daytime sleepiness, if you want to know whether the night is good or not, ask about falling asleep at the wheel, falling asleep while reading books or while in a conversation. And then you need to treat the night. And oftentimes, slow-release levodopa or a dopamine agonist at bedtime uh, can really improve sleep quality at night and then improve the days as well.
1: Yeah. Yes, this is a this is an interesting aspect that you're touching upon, Bas, the, the relation of a dop- dopamine agonist treatment to sleep-wake and sedation. Um Sometimes you get, of course, the opposite problem, like where dopamine agonists will induce yep. somnolence and daytime sleepiness, and they will ruin nighttime sleep. Yeah. And and you never know. That's why it's so difficult, and you need to take your time and, and try different things when, with these patients and take your time for the history. Um, what the best approach will be in someone with insomnia plus uh, yeah. daytime sleepiness. Um, not to forget... In the high prevalence of sleep-disordered breathing, but twenty percent of the elderly population have this problem, and it's not less com- not less common in Parkinson's disease. So there are, there are multiple issues coming in here.
0: Yeah, and then finally, to make the story complete, is on the one hand, um, dopaminergic therapy can help to alleviate some of the non-motor problems, but at the same time, some of the non-motor problems are actually the result or the consequence of excessive dopaminergic stimulation. Think of hallucinations, think of psychosis. You mentioned orthostatic hypotension leading to syncope, falls and maybe fractures. So a very careful history taking, really teasing out what is the role of dopaminergic therapy, what is maybe unrelated to dopaminergic therapy, what could be an adverse effect is critical. But I think, Werner, it's safe to say that non-motor symptoms are treatable I wouldn't say you can get rid of them, but I think there's no room for therapeutic nihilism. And I think with a careful approach and tailored treatment, you can help these people.
1: Absolutely. And I think what you said, Bas, is so important. It's not always only about adding a drug to treat Say orthostatic hypotension or hallucinosis. Sometimes it's removing a drug that's contributing exactly. to the problem, and sometimes it's even it's even both. But uh, to reiterate, this is nothing to be done with a casual visit. It yeah. does need information it oftentimes needs the caregiver to be present to get the right picture of what, what the problem is. Um, so it is a true challenge, and we do have an armamentarium of course. Yeah.
0: And if I may, I think it was authors from Innsbruck, if I remember correctly. There's a beautiful review in the Movement Disorders Journal about strategies for non-motor symptoms mm-hmm. with a very handy and convenient table and oversight. We can't go into the detail of oh. all the treatments here, but I think if people go to the Movement Disorders Journal and look at a MDS-commissioned review on non-motor symptoms and all the various strategies, I think they will find that very helpful in their
1: practice. Yes. Uh, My my friend and colleague, Klaus Seppi, was the author on that, uh, the evidence-based review of treatments for non-motor symptoms, Parkinson's, something I will go back to uh, myself exactly. I I I, I, check.
0: You can't always remember things, and I think that's a very handy Mm -hmm. uh, review. So I hope that the readers are motivated and persuaded to spend more than the typical 10 minutes on their patient and to really do careful history taking, not just in motor, but also in non-motor symptoms, to appreciate that these are treatable, to maybe revert to that beautiful review by Klaus Seppi and treat these symptoms. I just want to thank our listeners. Well, you, Werner, for contributing today again. I want to thank our listeners for uh, listening to us today. I want to thank BL one more time for their generous support uh, of this episode. Uh, We will gladly... Here or see you again with one of the next letters of the alphabet. We enjoy doing this, Werner, and can't so wait to see help. you again. Yep. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe.
1: You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and Oroen.com.